0: Thanks again for listening in to Your Shadow Advisor, a weekly program about navigating higher education from a first-generation person of color perspective. I'm your host, Professor Daryl Wanser serrano Y'all, I'm really excited to be doing uh, this recording this week because this is my first guest interview for the show. Uh, And it's a big one because I have two guests virtually with me to talk about mentorship today. Uh, Chantel Martinez is the Director of First-Generation Programs and Enrichment for the University of Colorado Boulder. She has a PhD in Communication and Media, with an emphasis in Latinx Communication and Gender Studies from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. As a practitioner scholar, she centers storytelling and narrative practices to examine cycles of intergenerational trauma and survival in both familial and educational spaces. She utilizes this research to inform her approach to build mentorship pipelines, form community, and cultivate narratives of survival. Thank you so much for being here, Chantel.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Also joining us uh, is Bryant Taylor, who's from the Bay Area, California, and is currently a Ph.D. student at the University of Oregon in their inaugural Indigenous Race and Ethnic Studies program. His research interests include Black queer homemaking, oral histories, archives, and queer video game spaces. Thanks so much for joining me, uh, Bryant. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Super
2: excited to be here.
0: So uh, Chantel and I go way back, uh, and I always cherish the opportunity to share space with her, even if only virtual. Uh, and Brian, I'm meeting for the first time today, uh, but I'm excited to talk about your perspectives and experiences on mentorship, uh, something that the two of you uh, have mutual experience in uh, and have e- even crafted a forthcoming essay about. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this stuff um, and, uh, and talk about other things related to the themes of this podcast.
1: Yes, thank you so much.
0: Um, so you know, I want to start today with a question that uh, that I've that I've just kind of personally enjoyed for a long time. Uh, when I when I had a previous podcast, anytime we had a guest, anytime we ran a roundtable at a conference, uh, I'd always lead off with a version of this question, uh, and it's one that I've kind of that I kind of used in uh, in my first episode for this program um, uh, as well. And that's a question that 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 I kind of conceptualize and frame around superheroes for some reason. Uh, the broadest version of the question is what is your superhero origin story, right? How do you get, how did you get started on your path in higher education to go to grad school, to enter professional life, et cetera, and what motivated you and what enabled your movement into and through these spaces? So where do you come from? How did you get to where you are?
1: Brian, do you want to go first or do you want me to take it?
2: Um, yeah, I can go first. So my superhero origin story starts in Oakland, California, where I'm from. Hey, the Bay. And yeah, I graduated high school and I decided that from high school I would go to community college, one, because money and financial stress is very, very real. Um, I wasn't I was also not like the greatest student at the time. Um, So it just gave me an opportunity to figure things out. But I think it kind of laid the foundation for me to figure out like what mentorship looks like, how to ask for resources, how to navigate um, college without necessarily having so many people crowding me um, at like a large university. So it was a very, very fun experience. Um, from there, I transferred to California State University, Monterey Bay, where I met the wonderful Chantal Martinez. And then, yeah, after that, I did my two years there. And then I moved to University of Oregon where I've been happy ever since. <laughs>
0: i'm I, I don't know if you know this. I'm also from the Pacific Northwest. Um, Ooh, huh. I grew up in Western Washington State, uh, so i'm I'm familiar with Oregon uh, and went to went to Eugene uh, at least once a year for every year I was in college for debate tournaments.
2: Really was what was Eugene like then because I can tell you what it's like now.
0: <laughs> Eugene was a town full of free spirited people um, doing free spirited things uh on the quad uh and uh and this was you know this was like the mid 90s and so it was kind of the the rise of craft breweries and stuff and so there was like a lot of good beer um and other things
2: yeah it's definitely it's definitely the same i would say a lot of free spirits (laughs) a lot of (laughs) you know eugene's eugene it's gonna it's gonna be what it is um but yeah definitely definitely similar vibes Shantel, what about you?
1: So it's really funny. My my superhero story actually starts with Indiana Jones. Um, So I am a child of the 80s um, who pretty much grew up on MTV and all the movies, all the 80s movies that your little heart could desire. Um, But growing up, first generation, uh, low income. The TV was also kind of part of my, of being a babysitter for me and my family. And I remember watching Indiana Jones and really loving the adventures he went on and that he was this professor and that he was, you know, creating this new knowledge and all of that. And so all of a sudden I wanted to be a professor at age five. I was like, I'm going to be a professor too. And so I used to get all my stuffed animals. And pretend to give them tests. And mind you, I was also the oldest of my siblings and the oldest of my cousins. So I spent a lot of time kind of having to figure it out myself and to entertain myself. And so I used to give them uh, tests and then I would grade them and then I would sign my name Dr. Chantal Martinez or Chantal Martinez Ph.D. And my family, again, you know, not having, you know, access to college was just like, what is this? How does she know what a PhD is? Again, hashtag thank you, Indiana Jones. Um, but they just kind of thought it was, it was a phase, right? But I knew from a really young age I just had this drive and 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 love for lifelong learning and for knowledge production, and so um, I also say that I come from the land of contradictions because I come from both the uh, Palm Springs area, which is the land of deserts in California but also to the Pacific Northwest connection. I did the majority of all of my schooling in the Seattle area. Um, and so I would do school years with my mom in the Pacific Northwest and then summers with my dad in Palm Springs. So I also joke around, I kind of got the worst of both worlds um, where it was always raining like nine months in and then really, really hot during the summer. But you know, from there, um, I was really fortunate to have a family that was really supportive of education and, and to going to college. And so I ended up going to the University of Washington um, go Huskies. Uh, I still believe purple and gold. And it was there that I really got to know the importance of mentorship, especially at such a large, you know, PWI where, you know, you feel like you're a face in a sea of faces and simultaneously you also feel hyper visible because you are a person of color. And I remember really being taken in by the, you know, Trio um, S- uh, uh, SSS support, um, McNair and other faculty members of color who really, you know, uplifted me and my experiences, and then really helped showcase like the way in which to get to grad school. Cause again, I knew I wanted to get that PhD. And so I ended up going to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, first thinking I was gonna get my PhD in education, and the good old 2008 slash 2009 recession hit. And the program that I went into ended up facing major, major budget cuts and restructuring where they basically collapsed five programs into one. And almost every single person that I went to go work with left. And, you know, being first generation, no one told me that this could happen, that this was a thing, that your mentors could leave, um, your advisors could leave. You know, no one no one told me that they were just like, oh, just go to grad school, then you'll get your Ph.D. and you'll be fine. Um, and so I had a lot of soul searching and a lot of learning from mistakes in grad school. And I'm really, really vulnerable and really, really open about these experiences with like Bryant or other students that I mentor, because I think that especially being first generation, um, you know, yes, there's things that we just don't know. But there's also things that I'm like, just an FYI, this actually can happen. And it does happen more often than you think. And I think it goes back to, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast of highlighting, again, that shadow advisor, or the, you know, hidden curriculum, or the stories that are sometimes stole you know told underneath our breath but are not necessarily public and I think that again I I really truly value this invitation to be on this podcast with you to talk about these issues um, especially from this first generation perspective so so yes hashtag uh, Indiana Jones and um, <laughs> the Pacific Northwest oh
0: god I loved Indiana Jones as a kid too Um <laughs> I you know it's funny I uh, it's funny that Indiana Jones got you started from an early age wanting to be a, a professor I, I knew early that I wanted to go to college and be the first in my in my family to do so and I knew from a pretty early age that I wanted to be a teacher um but you know for me it was uh it was probably like being a middle school teacher being a high school teacher because that's who had the kind of You know, in middle school, it was it was Mark Vetter uh, in social studies, uh, social studies seminar, who like gave me that passion for learning, right, and really kind of like took uh, took us seriously as students and got me motivated and wanting to be uh, really wanting to be a teacher. I didn't really even think about college, uh, about being a university professor and going to graduate school and stuff like that until until much later, right? Uh, But love to hear those Indiana jokes. I'm sure like punching Nazis also is like. You know, part of that motivation, right?
1: Of course, always.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you know, speaking of that transition into graduate school, right, and going and going to graduate school, I'm, I'm wondering for, for for the both of you, uh, each of you independently, how prepared do you think you were to start graduate school? Like, how much access do you think you had to what some folks call the hidden curriculum that underwrites grad school success? Um yeah, like, what was that What was that transition period like for you? Because, like, tell you mentioned that you had people, like, you know, pathways and people encouraging you to go to graduate school. We didn't really, like, I don't remember that being a real part of my undergraduate experience. I mean, hell, I, I like, I only applied to the place I ended up going to to, to graduate school uh, because I, I like, Happened to find the application that I'd printed out and like left on the floor in my apartment uh, while I was cleaning close to the end of the semester, procrastinating doing my work. Right? I'm like, oh, I should apply for this. Oh, I have to take the GRE. Um, oh, that deadline's coming up soon because this is 1998, I guess, uh, and there, you know, it wasn't all online back then. Anyway, so there like, there are a lot of like accidents that. <laughs> that got me to the point of actually being able to apply to the place that I ended up going to um, and how I got in. I still don't fully understand because like I wasn't the best test taker. My GPA was Mm -hmm. okay. Right. It wasn't the best GPA. Um, uh, And I'm glad I did. But so like, how prepared do you think you were to succeed once you were there um, and to get in, in the first place?
1: Yeah. um, I really, really love this question because I think you're absolutely right about all those happy little accidents that happen. So, one happy accident that happened was, you know, my very first year at the University of Washington, um, I never lived in the residence halls. I was always a commuter student. I actually always lived with family or, or had my own apartment. And I remember that first year, again, the advice given to me by my parents was go to school and go to work and do both, do good at both, right? Um, it was never about getting involved in clubs or doing undergraduate research or internships or study abroad. It was basically go to work and go to school. And that's that's what college is. That's how you'll be successful. And that's pretty much what I did my first year. And I remember um, I was a trio student because, um, again, first generation, low income. And I remember being late for a trio appointment with my advisor during the summer. And so I was running through Schmitz Hall because I couldn't find parking on the Ave. And, you know, I was running up and I was turning the hallway and i physically ran into um this man um and it ended up being dr Steve woodard who is one of my lifelong mentors to this day i've known him now half my life and he was like whoa 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 what are you where are you going why are you in such a rush and i was just like i'm really sorry um i ran i'm, I'm late to an appointment with my advisor and he was like well what are you talking about and i was just like i'm trying to kind of map out what my undergrad experience is going to be like. I'm interested in going to grad school, but I have no idea what to do or how to get there. And he was just like, well, my office is on the third floor. Come and visit me when you're done. And I was like, "Okay." And I had no idea who this guy was. It was the first time I'd ever met him. And I remember meeting with my advisor, who kind of gave me some help, kind of didn't. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to just follow up with this guy. Let's just see. Well, lo and behold, he was the director of the McNair program. And again, this was that critical summer between your freshman year and your sophomore year. And to apply for McNair, you have to apply as a sophomore. And, um, you know, he sat me down and we had a really long, authentic conversation. And again, he was first generation himself. And um, he was just like, I'm going to keep an eye on you and we're going to start working together. And I, I felt so relieved that someone was interested in in me and someone was invested in me. And from there it really bridged into a beautiful mentorship relationship. And again, how I really learned what to what a good mentor was like. Um, and so I was involved in McNair, I was involved in the honors program, I was involved in undergraduate research, again, all mostly through his, his mentorship. And so when it came to grad school and applying to grad school, I actually felt really, really prepared because I had the support systems there. But, and this is the big but, um, when I went to grad school, I felt, again, intellectually prepared for grad school. I actually didn't feel emotionally prepared for grad school. No one told me about the hyper uh, hyper competition amongst graduate students, including graduate students of color. Um, no one told me that it was expected that you constantly are driving your own discussion, which again, I came from a family that was, you know, don't speak back to your elders. You know, you don't constantly critique, you you listen and you sit and you stay silent and you ponder. Um, so there was a lot of cultural elements that I was like, I'm, I'm really not used to this. It's not how I was raised um, and then just also this notion of the performance of grad student, which I, I talk and joke around with Brian all the time, where it's that trying to, you know, kind of do that peacock dance where you're ruffling your feathers to show to the faculty, like, I know what I'm doing, and you're speaking in academies, and, and, and then other people are just sitting there, and we're like, did we read the same thing? Like, are you, are you sure we read the same thing? Um, and and then also, too, really finding my voice as an academic. Like, I felt like grad school really, in some sense, you know, stripped away My writing and who I was as a person and how I embodied my research um, in order to fit the cast and the mold that they wanted me to be. There was a lot of acculturation and a lot of, again, that hidden curriculum norms that I didn't know. Oh, yeah, anytime a faculty member throws a party, you should be there because that is, you know, part of your professionalization. I didn't know that. And oftentimes I also had to have a side job when I was in grad school. So I'd be like, sometimes I can't make these because I actually have to work. And people would be like, what? Um, So I think that there was also just some like class tensions, some cultural tensions, um, and very much that hidden curriculum that I wasn't used to. And again, even though I had phenomenal mentorship and support systems and intellectually, I could go jab for jab, but that emotional part of grad school really chipped away a lot of the confidence that I had built in undergrad. And I think also, too, um, this is my last point that I'll say, is that in grad school, I really started to learn the difference between mentorship and advising, because not all advisors are your mentors.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Brian, you were
2: nodding along a lot. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm having, even though I'm still in my first year of grad school, I'm having like so many flashbacks to being like, yeah, like (laughs) the emotional intensity of entering this uh, program for the very first time is just so, so hard. And I think what's really kind of interesting about that too, is that Chantel shared all those stories with me before. So I kind of had like a grappling of like what to expect, but dang, when you're in it, you're just like, okay, how am I going to navigate my own personal story and emotions? Um, as a graduate student, dealing with, again, the competitiveness, um, and trying to <laughs> understand a new academic language. I think Chantal calls it acad- academies, right? Like, um, when your professors are just constantly, you know, using all these different words that you've never heard of before, but then they're expecting you to know it and like say it back to them. Like, uh, let's, I, I don't know what I'm, I'm doing here. Um, but I guess in terms of how prepared I felt starting, I felt really prepared, honestly, um, You know, even though coming from a community college and being a transfer student, um, I was also a McNair scholar. I also almost missed the deadline because I was a spring term transfer um, and the program starts in the fall. So I had to do like a summer um, research ship with them. And then they were like, oh, we really like you. We'll reopen the application. And so they did. And so I was able to become a McNair scholar later on the process, um, which is something that they don't tell transfer students but they probably should do that. Um, so I guess going through the McNair program and having, you know, to do research, having the mentorship with uh, Dr. Chantel Martinez really kind of benefited me um, in a lot of ways, not necessarily just in terms of like the research aspect, but again, handling like the hidden curriculum of graduate school, um, and kind of knowing the things beforehand. So that way you can at least kind of prepare yourself, um, going in, but yeah, it's definitely like, it, it can still be hard, even though you have the knowledge, because I think it, it hits everyone differently. Um, and two, you also have your own personal challenges that you're going through while in grad school. So for my first year, the very first week, I was like sick for like three weeks, couldn't get out of bed, like was missing classes. Um, and then once I recovered, I tore my Achilles playing tennis, <laughs> trying to be impressive for my club team. Um, and so that knocked me out pretty much for I want to say a solid four months, um, of just trying to do like the physical therapy, missing classes, but also, you know, having to do zoom school, having to grade my students work, having to still read 500 pages a week, still having to, um, <clears throat> you know, take my midterms and finals and do all these other things that, you know, people don't really, uh, I guess, can't really prep you for life happening to you. Um, especially so soon. I definitely wasn't expecting that to, to happen, but it did, um, yeah. And I think to kind of <clears throat> throw it back to something else that Chantelle mentioned uh, was just like the I guess the lack of family knowledge about college and university stuff. Because I think while I was able to prepare pretty well during the second half of my um, my, I guess, undergrad experience, the first half was pretty much what Chantelle was saying just about, you know, go to school, go to work. That was pretty much the message for my parents. If you're not working, you better be doing really well in school. (laughs) And so you kind of just kind of get into that mindset of like, okay, well, that's pretty much all that college is. That's what you do, right? You just go to school, you go to work, um, and then everything else will kind of fall in line. But there's a lot of other stuff, right? You have to get the mentorship. You have to get the the internship experience. You have to jump through all these different hoops to kind of show like, oh, yeah, I was building something while I was here. Um, And so that can be pretty pretty exhausting um if you don't kind of go in knowing what you're gonna do but when it's when you kind of uh, make the game plan it can be really really fun
0: yeah i mean no one really uh no one ever told me right how much of a um i guess life choice graduate school is right and life change it is right like both of you mentioning like the you know go to class do your work uh you know, work at your job and you just kind of like go through and do that as an undergraduate. And then grad school is like this, you know, it's like, oh, well, I only have three classes and yeah, they're harder, but it's only three classes as opposed to, you know, whatever you're used to as a as as an undergrad. But like, it's like all encompassing, right? <laughs> and, and no one ever really tells you that ahead of time. Um, you know, Chantel, you mentioned like going to profess, going to part, you know, to to social events right that seem like it's just something that's optional but really isn't like isn't fully optional <laughs> um well so like how did you all figure some of that out like what kinds of resources right did you find uh at the time so i'm asking you to think back here and, and brian you're thinking back a year <laughs> Chantel, you're thinking back more than a year um <laughs> But what kinds of resources did you find at the time to help you find your way? Like what what things worked best and why?
1: I think that's a really good question. And also really quick to go back to what you were just saying. um, I think it is really important to stress that now to grad students. And and this is what I stress to Brian and the other students that I mentor is that. When you're going to grad school, you're again, you're not just a student, you know, you are also a human being and a person who have those personal developments, whether that means you're you're getting married, you're getting divorced, you're having children. You know, I know so many of my friends and cohort members who, who went through that, and including myself, like. In grad school, I got married and bought my first house, you know, and so I always tell my students first and foremost, like, remember, yes, you're a grad student and you're also a human being that has many, many wants and needs and desires that exist beyond the academy. And that's OK. You need to be able to fulfill those. Um, so that's just one thing I wanted to mention really quickly. But to be absolutely honest and, and really, really vulnerable um, I kind of go back to, um, and you're probably going to have to bleep this out, Daryl. I, I will fully, I'm giving you the, the warning. Um, I've, got I go my, back... I've
0: got my, I've got my, bleeper button ready.
1: <laughs> there we go. I, um, I go back to my mother's very, very wise words, which is F- around and figure it out. <laughs> so, but that was really it. I, I, you know, being a first generation college student, um, when I noticed my peers, first, there really wasn't that many of us, you know, there really wasn't that many of us, you know, whether it was BIPOC or first generation students in the room to begin with, like I had cohort members and classmates who were the children of professors who were reading Foucault at age 18. And I was like, what you know like how is this even possible you know and and they already knew the importance of going to faculty parties because they were raised in that culture but but I wasn't so it really was honestly Making mistakes of, of, you know, again, finding my own way. Um, I used to joke around that it was like walking a path at night uh, in the thick forest at midnight where it's not a full moon, it's a new moon, and literally trying to find your way through this path and you are stumbling because you can't see the tree roots that are in front of you and so you have to pick yourself back up and just continue and have faith of I'm still moving forward on this pathway even if i don't necessarily see it and that's really how i felt in grad school i felt like i learned a lot of lessons from fellow peers, um, from students who were more advanced in my program. Um, You know, I would ask them, like, can I see a copy of your quals? Um, Can I see a copy of your proposal? Um, And I really learned, again, to kind of pay it forward and to share those resources. So now with my students, um, we have a team drive together where I put copies of some of my old graduate student papers. I put copies of my um, uh, personal statements from both my master's and PhD program in there. So again, they have something to see and model because for me again I couldn't rely on a family member Um, and I also didn't necessarily know fully the resources that were available to me. I didn't know um, that you could go to the Career Center because, again, as a grad student, especially a, a doctoral student, it's really looked down upon if you're accessing the Career Center because you should be utilizing the resources in your department. Um, but I, I kept going back to my mom's um, words, which is, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You need to be able to have options at the end of this. And so um, I know I got weird looks, and I know I definitely got um, people being like, why is she going to the Career Center and other places for resources? But I also used my 1st genness in some sense as that strength because when I did graduate, I had options to either pursue a career in academic publications, um, on the tenure track market, um, as well as administration. Um, and so I'm really thankful that, again, I listened to that advice of don't put all your eggs in one basket and to kind of around and figure it out because I definitely did that, even if I made mistakes along the way.
2: Yeah, Brian? I think for me – <laughs> very first therapy was the biggest resource ever. Um, definitely had to utilize uh UO's mental health resources just because it does get really, really hard here. Um, being at a predominantly white institution, being queer, um, in Eugene, both of those things intersecting, being a first gen student as well, it just feels it can be very, very lonely and trying to navigate this space can be very, very difficult. Um, I think also having to rely on peer support. Um, at CSUNB, I was a transfer student peer mentor. So I really like peer to peer connections. Um, and so when I tore my Achilles, I actually got an undergraduate peer mentor to like help me keep me on track. Cause I was just like, I was just about to quit. I was just like, you know what, this isn't for me. I'm injured, I'm tired, um, <laughs> I'm in pain. Like, you know, um, but having that peer to peer support felt really, really good. I think especially too, having it outside of my department. Cause again, were inaugural so we're very very small but I think being able to kind of access and speak to someone about um, you know what grad school was like even though they were undergrad just be able to vent to someone else was very very uh, good and of course I think something else that was really really helpful was being able to play tennis uh, for the <laughs> for the very short time that I had it um, within my first quarter and then of course later on when I was able to recover because I think having that physical outlet and something that I was able to play since I was a little kid, was able to take me out of the grad school environment and out of the like, you know, strict you have to do, you have to read this, you have to write this, you have to read this and write this and grade this and talk to your professors about this. Um, it really kind of reconnected me back into my body when all the time you're supposed to be in your head and you're supposed to privilege kind of your your thoughts 100% of the time. Um, and of course, always going back to Chantal and being like, I'm gonna quit. <laughs> I'm so tired. I hate it here. Um, (laughs) It was was a really helpful resource to lean on because I think, you know, Chantal mentioned, um, you know, having so many options. And I think that's a really good point because as grad students, we're we're told to focus so much on just, you know, finishing, getting your PhD, whatever. But no one really talks to us about the different options that can come after or the different options that can occur while you're in your program. And so um, it's really important to kind of see you know, your five plus years uh, holistically instead of it just being this one lane because otherwise you can easily go insane um, focusing on just the one.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of like thinking about those options, I mean, that's something that that Chantel and I've talked about privately, you know, and I don't know how much this is this is the case in, in your program, Brian, but when I was a, a graduate student, first of all, got the big life of the mind speech, which sounds like is still a... Um, a common speech from uh, from grad directors and whatnot, right? And so, right, the emphasis was always on right cultivating this quote unquote life of the mind uh, and producing producing students who would go on to uh, to be professors at research one institutions. Now, now, thankfully, I think the realities of you know gesturing wildly around me, the world uh, have have made people realize in twenty twenty two that like. Not everyone can get a research one job because they just don't exist as much anymore, right? Um, and so I think there's a there is a lot more diversification of uh, of kind of career paths, um, but there's still such a strong emphasis on people joining the professoriate in one way or another, right? Uh, and so you know one of the things that uh, that 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 I, I hope starts to ha- continues happening more and more is people uh, realizing um, and and encouraging, right, folks to look at many different potential pathways uh, with their PhD, right? That you don't have to become a professor um, and that there are a lot of, like, great, fulfilling, important career paths, right, that make excellent use of a PhD. <laughs> but, like, I also feel like that's still... that that realization still lags in a lot of uh, advisors, right? But maybe less so in mentors.
1: (laughs) Yes, I would, I would agree. I think that's actually one of the reasons, the differences between um, advising and and mentorship. Um, Because I think that in my personal opinion, um, when you're advising, you almost get like a, a slice, like a slice of the pie or a snapshot of that person, like you're advising them specifically on a project or you're advising them on how do you finish your dissertation or you're advising them through a program. But I think mentorship, in my personal opinion, it's about mentoring the whole person, all of them, their stories, their community, their family, you know, the the ties that ground them, right? It's it's the entire person, all of their experiences, including the experiences of trauma that you are mentoring them with. And I also think that mentorship, just kind of similar to what Brian just said, is it's not a top-down situation. It is a a side to side, like we're walking this path together. And that's to me, I think one of and like I said, in my personal opinions, some of the differences between advising and mentorship, because I think mentorship, um, it can, and I try to do this with my students, really open a path um, and space for empathy and vulnerability on both for both people. And I think that's one of the beauties and strengths of mentorship, rather than advising, which sometimes can feel transactional.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it has to be right. I mean, just you know, mm-hmm. put, putting on my advisor hat for a second. I mean, there's <laughs> there are like like. We have in our program one of the things that I really appreciate about our graduate program at Texas A and M insert advertisement for graduate program at Texas A and M is that we do have like we have clear benchmarks right that people are supposed to meet along the way. And that puts kind of like, I mean, it's in our grad handbook, right? And so when you enter, you know what the expectations are kind of as you move through the program and how you move through the program in good standing. And, is you know, yeah, there's some fuzziness with some of that stuff, right? I mean, and they're ideals. But like, you know, part of my job as an advisor is to help keep you focused on those benchmarks. It is, it's it's almost definitionally Transactional, to the benefit of the student too, right? Of like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, what what can I do to help you? Right, be sure that you're doing this and this. Okay, I can give you this information. I can point you in this direction. Um, I can listen to you, to what to you know to your questions about X, Y, and Z, and it's all kind of laid out. But yeah, mentorship is is a bit uh, is a bit of a different a different beast. Brian, what about what about you? What do you think is are some of the similarities and differences uh, between advisors um, and mentors?
2: You know, I think that's a a good question. And I'm trying to think because I, I only have one advisor right now, um, but I feel like our, our relationship is actually kind of gearing more into a mentorship role um, at the moment, just because I feel like there is that openness um, and willingness to kind of communicate. And I feel like there's... Uh, groundwork being laid that feels, that feels, I guess, less transactional and more um, collaborative. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure uh, the differences yet, but maybe when I like start building my own committee and my, you know, my things like that, I'll I'll be able to tell the difference. Um, but I think, I don't know, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm being a little naive, but I think that hopefully I can kind of, you know, cultivate Uh, relationships like that, that feel kind of mentorshipy with all of my future committee members um, our advisors, just because I feel like, you know, it feels, it feels good. You know, mentorship feels really, really good when it, when it's uh, more personal and more collaborative, I guess, than transactional in that sense.
0: I, I don't think that's naive at all. And, and I think, I think it, I think it may also be in part, at least a product of the program that you're in right? Uh, that you're in um, a, a, an intellectual space that is uh, that is full of people who are uh, who kind of like navigate the and and problematize the borders between right intellectual work, activist work, organizing work, um, and are always kind of pushing back against the constraints of disciplinary formations, right? That's the beauty of being in a kind of interdisciplinary space in some ways. And it's you know, as someone like me who who was in a a, a still fairly interdisciplinary but still very disciplined and disciplinary graduate program in communication, right, I found that kind of life and those kinds of relationships outside of those spaces in in the kind of like more ethnic studies types of spaces at my university and beyond my university as well
2: yeah i think that's a really really good point um you know i never thought about like the the differences outside of my own (laughs) outside of my own bubble because it is still you know a small program um so yeah that that definitely makes sense of it of it being different um i guess it also goes back to you know, kind of being picky about who you have as advisors as well, because um, you, you do have to spend a lot of time with them. So it can feel like, you know, yeah, I don't know what i was trying to say there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how is it that you think you find a, a good mentor, Brian, or offer yourself up as one for others, Chantel? Like, when do you do those things? And how do you
1: make it work?
2: Should we tell our, um, <laughs> our origin story? I, I think, I, obviously, the I answer is should, yes.
1: <laughs> yes. I think we should tell our origin story. I think you tell it beautifully, Bryant. Go go ahead.
2: Okay. It was a cool summer day in Monterey, California. Uh, 2019, I believe, was the year. And UROC was hosting like this panel for... UROC is the Undergraduate Research Opportunity um, Center at California State University, Monterey Bay. Um, and they were hosting like a panel of um, faculty to talk about, you know, their graduate school experiences, like how to navigate graduate school, how to apply for funding, their research and stuff. And so I come in, I'm sitting there um, and the program was hev- STEM heavy. So there there's a lot of STEM faculty there. Um, but then Dr. Chantel Martinez introduces themselves and they were talking about, you know, how they were able to use their research to go abroad. They were talking about how they were first gen. Um, you know, they were talking about all this beautiful, wonderful things that they were doing with their research. I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to talk to her like ASAP. And so I forgot if I went up to you after the event or if I like e- sent you an email after.
1: I think you sent me an email. Yes.
2: Okay. So I sent an email and I was like, hey, like I really, um, enjoyed your talk. Like, is it possible for us to meet at Starbucks so I can pick your brain and ask you more questions? And Chantel, being the wonderful person she is, she was like, "Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, you know, thank you so much." Ah. And so we meet at Starbucks, um, and you know, I feel like we just kind of instantly clicked. Like I was asking all these questions about research abroad, um, and then we started like talking about our lives and like sharing our own personal stories with each other. And I, I don't, I don't know. I felt like after that moment, I was just like, "She has to be my mentor." Like, <laughs> like it's a, it's a perfect match. And three years later, we've been happy ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you like? Did you like follow up and be like,
0: send an email? It's like, will you be my mentor, please? Did you do? <laughs> no, what, it actually were, you, didn't. were you formal like that, or did just did you just kind of like fall into the roles?
2: You know, in terms of formality, it actually, didn't happen much later on. Um, I think maybe like in the middle of fall semester, um, and I was like, hey, you know. I'm going to switch mentors. Would you want to be my mentor, please? And she's like, absolutely. Um, but I think it, you know, I think ever since that moment, like she was inviting me to, you know, the, the, the CSU barbecue, she was checking on me. She was like recommending things for me to read. We would keep in contact and still like talk about my research and just talk about our lives. Um, and so I guess the informal mentorship was already happening right at that moment of, um, you know, the UROC event at Starbucks, um, but I guess to get back to the question of, you know, how do you find a good mentor? I think you kind of have to know what your values are and what you want from a mentorship relationship. And I think at that time, I was really looking for guidance on how to like make the most of my undergraduate experience. Um, and so when, you know, Chantal was speaking, it was kind of aligning with all the things that I hoped my, you know, un- uh, undergrad would be. And then, of course, when I sat down with her, it felt like, Oh, like she's family, you know, like she gets it. She understands what it's like to be first gen, BIPOC, queer, like all these things just kind of aligned, um, you know, in a space that kind of I wasn't really finding that at that time. And so, uh, you know, kind of going in, knowing what your values were, are really play a role into who you attract and, you know, who you keep an eye out for, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that's such an uh, important Part, um, and I think you named it so incredibly beautifully, Bryant, of like knowing what your values are. Because I think that oftentimes, you know, especially for academics and for students who are, you know, high achieving, who are, who are driven. We don't actually stop and take that deep, critical reflection of what is our, what are our values, right? You know, it's just kind of going from one step to the next step to the next. And I think really sitting down and being like, you know, what expectations do I have for a mentor? You know, what what type of mentorship relationship am I looking for? You know, what are my values? Um, Do they align with this person? Um, I think that's really important. And, and I also think that sometimes things just happen organically too, right? You know, the thing that Bryant like doesn't share in this beautiful, beautiful story is that when we went to go to Starbucks, he was fully prepared with a notebook full of questions and a recorder like ready to go. And I was just like, who is this student? This student was a better student than I ever was in undergrad. And it really like took my breath away in, in such a great way. And I was just like, I want to work with this student. Like, I know this student is on to amazing things, and I want to be able to be part of their story and to get them to the next place. And I think, funny enough, um, kind of like the name of this podcast, That Shadow Advisor, I've kind of really have played that role all along with Bryant, you know, because he has been accepted to, you know, summer research opportunities during the summer where he had a specific advisor for the program. And then there I was in the shadows being like, by the way, you should be reading bell hooks. By the way, you should be also looking into this (laughs) bridge on my back. By the way, have you checked out some indigenous feminist theories, you know? <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's also the beauty of it is that you don't need to have just one mentor or one advisor. I think it's kind of like a collect them all kind of a situation, right? And that one mentor can never be the end-all be-all for everything in your life. You know, I have certain mentors that are specifically for my career and I also have other mentors who know me on a much more personal level, right? And and that's okay. That's totally okay to have multiple mentors in your life.
0: So what does healthy mentorship look like <laughs> uh, both as a mentee and as a mentor?
1: That's a really great question. And... For me, I think it comes down to trust, you know, that inner circle of trust, right? Um, Almost kind of like a Vegas rule, like what's said here stays here, Um, because I think that It also can really lend to spaces, again, of vulnerability um, and empathy. Um, I know that's something that Brian and I really have in common. Both of our scholarship and our work is about embodied knowledge and, you know, that the body serves as an archive, you know, and so we both research very, very similar things. And so because of our research topics, you know, there are moments where I'm really, really vulnerable with Brian, whether it's in terms of my own mental health. If I have to be like, hey, you know, kiddo, I'm really sorry, but I've had a panic attack this morning. And I actually can't meet with you right now. I'm not in the mental health space to do so. But can we reschedule? And having that level of grace, because there's been times too, where Brian's reached out to me, and he's like, I'm really overwhelmed with school. Um, can can you you know, help me? Can we reschedule? And it's, it's never a judgment. It's like, yep, I got you. No worries. Let's do this. So I think it's it really comes down to, again, the that level of trust, vulnerability and empathy and again knowing that we're walking this pathway together because I think it's really important not to bamboozle our students thinking that our lives are the best and we never have any problems and we're never stressed and you know the academy loves us and you know are tenuring us left and right and that you know we don't get in fights with other faculty members you know you know all of those things that never never happens right um (laughs) But, you know, when when they do, um, I am still open with Bryant about that because I want him to know that just because you have a Ph.D. or you're on the other side, it isn't always rainbows, unicorns and kittens. Um, There still can be trials and tribulations. And and again, I think that goes back to this notion of options. Like, are these the trials and tribulations you actually want and want to experience in your life Um, and giving that person a sense of agency and control over those decisions? So that's what I would Kind of my, my little two cents are on it. What's your thoughts, Brian?
2: I completely 100% agree to everything that you just said. And I think another component too is um, having a mentor that listens to you and vice versa, because I feel like, again, mentorship can sometimes be seen as being like this top-down thing where like you're the mentee and you have to like, you know, take in all this information. Um, but I think, you know, the times that I have shared with Chantal, which is <laughs> very often, pretty much every single day. Um, the feeling of being heard really goes a long way in this and I think establishing, you know, trust, empathy, um, and you know, all the, all the other ingredients that make mentorship, uh, go so well. Um, because I think, yeah, as a mentee, it can be kind of daunting when you're like, oh my gosh, this figure is, has gracious, graciously taken me under their wing and is providing, you know, all this knowledge. Um, but you know, being heard and I guess not necessarily just heard, but like actively listened to, um, it goes. It goes such a long way.
0: That's great. Um, yeah, I want to be mindful of uh, of our time, uh, and and ha- I do have a, a a final question that's not about mentorship, but I do want to ask you one one last question about mentorship, and that is like, do you have? Uh, and it's okay if you don't, but uh, but I have the feeling you do. Do you have like w- like one big takeaway? about mentorship like what's the what's the key mentorship takeaway for you either from the perspective of like of a grad student and that could go for 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 both of you since since chantelle you've you've been you were a grad student at one <laughs> point um or as as a as someone you know someone who engages you know in in that mentorship of others which both of you have to have experience with as well um but like what do you think is like one big takeaway that you'd want listeners to have in mind um, as they start reflecting about their own relationship to mentorship um, in their lives, in their academic lives.
1: So I totally have something, and this is about, this is um, something that Brian and I are actually co-writing right now, is find a mentor who's also invested in joy, And helping you to find your joy, because I think so often in academia, you know, this becomes our sole identity. And so, you know, our self-worth, our identity is really tied to our levels of productivity and what are we doing and how many accolades do we have and whatnot. And I think that something in terms of mentorship is, again, remembering that you're you're mentoring the whole person and that whole person includes joy and pleasure and also having a life and identity outside of academia. And that's great. And you should encourage that because again, um, you know, I have learned through lots of years of therapy that academia is my job. It's not my identity. And so I've really have been cultivating a space of redefining what does joy look like in my life. And so now I make it a point, um, when I mentor my students of asking them, so what brings you joy? You know, what brings you joy? What brings you pleasure? Pleasure? What makes you laugh? You know, that deep, deep belly laugh. So that's what I would say is find a mentor who's also invested in helping to cultivate your joy.
2: Yeah, it's so important. Brian? Ditto, 100% find someone <laughs> that encourages you to find joy. And I think also too, you know, for people trying to find a mentor, it's definitely important to be open, but also be picky on who you you let mentor you. Um, you know, just because not everyone, uh, not every mentor is a good fit or a match. Um, and, you know, sometimes you'll be looking for something different than one person can provide and that's totally fine. It's totally okay. Also to, to switch mentors and to try, you know, you know, meet different people. Um, but do not ever get stuck with someone that again, doesn't <laughs> encourage you to find joy, but, um, you know, kind of makes you miserable as well. Definitely do not do that. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like that would that wouldn't be a
0: mentor, a really, a, or at least not a good mentor anymore, right? Yeah, definitely not. No, <laughs> if you're using the language of being stuck, probably not the most positive experience. So, uh, my my final question for for y'all, uh, this is a, a a question I gave you in advance. So, so, I hope you have your your three things. So, the 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 question I want to end uh, interviews with uh, is. What are your top three things that you wish people had told you going into grad school or while in grad school? Top three things. Number them, please.
1: <laughs> Brian, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah. So my number one is when you're deciding schools, make sure you're factoring in like activities that you like to do because... um yeah, like, one of my things was, like, I really love to play tennis. And so one of the deciding factors was, like, which school has a club tennis team that I can be on for five years uh, to get me through. Number two is prepare. That's important. That is really important, right? That like,
0: it, it is really important, yeah. I mean, if, if yeah, if grad school is not – it's it can't be all-consuming in that yeah. way. I mean, it can be, but it's not particularly
2: healthy when it mm-hmm. is. So, yeah, like, having that outlet so key. Yeah, and it saves you a lot of stress. Trust me on that one, y'all. Um, the second one would be to uh, prepare kind of emotionally for, you know, different things that might happen because, again, life happens throughout. So make sure that you have, you know, your, your backup plans, your backup backup plans, just to make sure that if something does happen, you have things to fall on so that way you can recover and rest. Um, and then also, too, the third thing is actually to factor in recovery and rest when you're making your schedules for the quarter, your semester, uh, whatever it is. I am one who always forgets to do that. And I am one that always ends up crashing second week. Um, So don't be like me. Make sure you get in that recovery rest time.
1: I ditto all of that. Yes. (laughs) Ditto so much of that. I think that... um... You know, again, something was to take care of your body, take care of your mind. So going back to that notion of rest and that it is okay to give yourself permission to take breaks. Um, And it's not always just the go, 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 go. Um, I think my second piece of advice is maintain a life and identity outside of the academy, right? Like make sure you have other places that you can pull from, whether that's your family, whether it's the surrounding community of the university, like make sure you have a life outside of the university. Um, I worked at this really cool wine store slash wine bar when I was working, uh, when I was at Urbana Champagne, and that was the best thing ever because it it made me have a life outside of it. Um, And the third thing is that Always prepare for the unexpected. You never know the ways in which you're going to grow. You never know the ways in which you're going to learn or unlearn things and just be open to new experiences.
0: Awesome. Fantastic advice from both of you. I wish people had told me those things before going to graduate school. Um. Yeah, one more time. I I really want to thank y'all for for joining me for this conversation today. It's truly been a joy to have you uh, to learn from you, uh, and I hope that our listeners and I not hope I know that our listeners will feel the same way. So, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us.
1: Yes, thank you so much.
0: And for the listeners, thank you for joining as well. Uh, I really value each and every one of you and hope that this show helps in one way or another as you continue your own paths navigating higher education. Uh, since I try to keep this show as listener-driven as possible, please send me your thoughts and questions. Uh, hit up the show on Twitter or shoot me an email at your leisure. Uh, and if you do have a question, please send it to questions at shadowadvisor.com or head to the website to submit an audio question that I might air on the podcast. So that's it for today. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, And if you're feeling up to it, please leave us a five-star rating and review. Thanks again for listening in. I'll be back with more next week.